Well, I don't know about you, but I've tried water skiing before, and I'm never going to do it again. But I definitely wouldn't be trying it on my own, trying to steer and do that. So wasn't that a funny video? Just really fun to just highlight some things about um, being together with community and some things that we definitely need to do together. And so... Um, we are preparing right now for the fall, as you can imagine, and this fall, beginning the weekend of September 26th and 27th, we're going to be starting a new sermon series um, called King of the Hill, and it's going to be a 12-week series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and this is going to be a DVD-driven curriculum for small groups as well, and so we're really excited about this. It's going to be like our going public curriculum if you were here last fall that we were able to do. And, um, and so the Sermon on the Mount is going to be something really fun to study. Um, it's probably one of the most well-known teachings by Jesus, but also maybe one of the most misunderstood teachings as well. And so it's going to be such a growing experience for us as a church to be able to dig into these compelling teachings by him. And um, so, again, we're forming small groups. We're getting prepared starting this weekend. Um, why I'm up here is because I am recruiting leaders and hosts for this for these groups, and um, so if you are already a small group leader or if you're not a small group leader and you're just interested in giving it a try, um, this is such a great opportunity for you to plug in, and so I really hope that you'll consider it, and um, whether you're a seasoned small group leader or considering it, um, we're going to make sure that we get you prepared, and um, we're going to make sure that this is such a great series for you to get your feet wet if it's the first time, so you can sign up to lead one of these series by simply um, pulling out this card. You'll see it in the chair back right in front of you. And there's some more information on that about training as well. But um, fill that out, and then you'll go ahead and put it in one of these white buckets. This isn't for my bad tummy ache. Um, but you'll put this in one of the white buckets. It'll be at all of the exits as you go out today. And, um, and so we really look forward to partnering with you. And so if you are interested, um, we're going to be doing this sign-up for leaders for the next couple of weekends. And so you have some time to pray about it and talk with your spouse as well. So, um, Question. Uh, um, one thing that I think was good last night that you said was how we're training and getting leaders ready. Because we're not asking for you to lead a small group in terms of all the teaching and prep. We're providing all that. It's kind of more of a facilitator of a discussion. Talk right. about the process there. Right. Well, since this is a DVD curriculum, um, it takes some of that teaching aspect out of it. So it's more um, our teaching pastors are actually um, in the DVD. They're all um, having a part in that teaching part of it that you'll watch every time right before your discussion. You'll just pop that in the DVD player. And so um, as a facilitator, as a host of a small group, what you'll be doing is um, you'll be just facilitating the discussion and um, just facilitating the community building that will be happening in your small groups. And so it is such a great opportunity if you haven't ever led a small group for you to get your feet wet, like I said, to do that. We are going to make sure that you are as trained and equipped as you need to be. Um, you'll notice on this card that there are a couple different meetings. One is for people who've never been through orientation, and um, this is for new leaders. And so we'll take you through um, orientation for leading a small group as well as give you 
information that is specific to this series. The other meeting that we're having is for those of you who have led a small group and who have already taken the Timberline orientation. And so it won't be as long of a meeting for you, but we will definitely get you prepared um, and ready to receive people into your group and give you the details about the series. So you'll be all set. So Hey, thank you. Let's really say fun. thanks to Pastor Christie. It's thanks. going to be fun. Really going to be exciting. It's the first time we've tried kind of an all-inclusive series where we're actually going to have the weekends uh, teaching the text and then the Wednesday night journey service. Pastor Rob is going to actually talk about the aspect of how Jesus lived out what he was teaching in another scenario of the topic. And then the small groups, we talk about how does that apply to our lives. And pastors Dick Foth, Rob Coles, Jeff Lucas, and myself have spent quite a chunk of time this summer uh, putting that together and looking at it. And so we're really excited to do it. So I hope that you'll sign up to be in a small group. And especially if you could facilitate for us, it would be a lot of fun. You having a good morning? Coffeeed up? always like to know what crowd I'm dealing with here, you know. It's just a good thing. I, Because I am. I feel ready to go and have been really enjoying summer. It's just been a blast to uh, get outside and see Colorado a little bit and yet work on some things for this fall and just some exciting things. I can't wait to kind of talk about this fall as we move into some changes around here and exciting news and vision and the things that God is growing in our hearts. Thank you for being a part of that. How many of you have had at least a piece of vacation at some point this summer already? Okay. Anybody climb a 14er? Okay. A few of you have. Good work. Anybody climb out of your car? Okay. Okay. Good. Just get out there and enjoy it because it really does, really does go fast. We are in a series that is uh, called Portraits of Jesus by John. And we've been in it long enough. I won't overly explain it, but if you are new to Timberline this weekend, what we're doing is we're looking at these different portraits that have a picture based on a statement or a happening in the life of Jesus captured by John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of give one angle of Jesus, but John sort of steps back and uses a different kind of a language as he writes about the teachings of Jesus. This is a beautiful portrait. When you see this, at least when I see it, I automatically think of the resurrection of Jesus. And he's coming out of the tomb, and I've seen enough Easter passion plays to see him walk out in my mind. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so, so I have these images. But today, we're not talking about the, the resurrection of Jesus necessarily. We're talking about a guy by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus, who really died and came back to life because of the command of Jesus... And Jesus makes this statement before he says, Lazarus, come forth. He says to the people watching and listening, I am the resurrection and the life. What does that mean for you and me? Yesterday morning, some of you were there. We had probably 125 to 150 folks out at Horsetooth Reservoir for the first time we've had a baptism service out there. And I'm telling you, it was fantastic. We're going to show you some of the footage tape next week, I think, or at least in the next couple of weeks. And 30 or 40 people were baptized in water right on the shore of the beach there in the swimming area. And I just couldn't help as I watched uh, friends baptizing friends and kids and parents and families. I couldn't help but have this image of when they were coming up out of the water right toward where all of us were standing 
this image of coming up from death into life. That's what water baptism symbolizes. And, and it was just remarkable to think of Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life. And what does that mean for you and me to be people who can come out of the grave, who can come out of death? You say, well, I haven't died yet. What are you talking about? I want to talk some today about this metaphor because we all have dead spots in our lives. We all have issues that we have faced. And to do that, I want to go into John chapter 11 where all of this happened. In your outline on the back of your bulletin, the overriding statement is, what does it mean to us that Jesus is actually the resurrection and the life? The first couple of things will just get us into the story. I'll go fast, but I want you to jot these down. They're important. Number one, what it means is that we realize life is fragile. That's the first statement that I want to make because we are about to see a man die. If you've been around death, you understand the pain of it and the challenge of it. But Lazarus is about to die. Look at what it says in John 11, verse 1. If you want to just leave your Bible laid open, we're just going to walk right through this chapter together. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters. Now you'll know these people. Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend. I think that's interesting how they put that. They didn't say our brother is sick. They said your dear friend is very, very sick. What do you think the hope is here in Mary and Martha? The hope is that Jesus is going to care about that and go see Lazarus because they've seen him do miracles. How many of you think that Mary and Martha believed Jesus could heal Lazarus? Obviously, that's why they ask. Jesus is moved by their faith. Obviously, he cares about Lazarus. Lazarus is his friend, but he doesn't immediately go and heal him. That's interesting, too. Jesus has something in mind. Now, when I look at Lazarus getting really sick, I don't know about you, but I am blessed with good health. I am so thankful for it. I, every day, I thank God for good health. Have you ever gone so long without being sick that you forget how sick it feels to be really sick? I, a few months ago, I had this like 24-hour something, and I don't know if it was flu or food poison, but I mean, it, it just came on me. And uh, I just turned white and I couldn't even stand up. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It just, I just crumpled in the bed and Bonnie's like, this is not like you. What's going on? I said, I don't know. I just can't even roll over. I couldn't even talk. I was, I'm such a baby when I'm sick. And so maybe that's why God doesn't let me get sick very often. But, but I just was, I couldn't even move. And I, I thought literally right there, I want to have just a little bit of a memory of this so that I never do whatever I did to get this. Because I don't ever want to be sick again like this. It's not a good thing. But sickness is all around us. Death is around us. Life is fragile. So what does it mean? It means this. This is the first one I want you to get. Look around today. Breathe some life in. Pay attention to what you do have and not just what you don't have. Because life is fragile. Life is fragile. Some of you know that firsthand. The second thing is similar to this, but it even goes to another level in the story. Number two in your outline. It means that we live with death and dying. 
Because we are flesh and blood, and we do not have our eternal bodies, yes, our soul, spirit live on. But our bodies die. The fact that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, is placing hope in those of us who live with flesh and blood, that we have that eternal capacity built within us through who Jesus is. Verse 11. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now, a few verses have gone by that I didn't read. Lazarus has passed away and he's talking to his disciples. They've actually left Bethany because of persecution. But now I will go and wake him up. Now, look at how, how the disciples perceived this. They thought he was just sleeping. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll, get, he'll soon get better. In other words, napping is good. He's resting. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come and let's go see him. What is going on in this story is that Jesus is setting up a lesson. He's setting up a life moment of teaching. Obviously, death is devastating. It hurts. It's challenging. Jesus may know He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but the other people in the story did not know it. The fact that Jesus makes the statement, I am the resurrection and the life, He's wanting to convey that they can have hope in Him. And then we see Thomas in verse 16. Some have called him Doubting Thomas, but here's a shining moment for Thomas. Nicknamed the twin, because he had a twin uh, brother, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out is because Thomas, you don't hear a lot from Thomas in Scripture, and so this is a, a, a moment when two things are happening about death and dying. First of all, Lazarus has died. Secondly, they were almost killed in a persecution sense, the last time they were in Bethany. And everyone encouraged them to get out of there and don't go back. And the disciples have just been saying, Lord, don't go back there. They will kill you. So finally, when Jesus says, let's go see Lazarus, let's go back to Bethany, Thomas speaks up, and it could have been two things. Scholars are kind of divided on it. He was either being a little sarcastic, saying, okay, then let's go back and die with him. We're all going to die anyway, so what's it matter? Let's die. Or he was honestly saying, Okay, let's go back and face the consequences of this kind of a ministry. When you have this power, people don't like it, and they may take us all out. Let's go in with our eyes open knowing we could suffer. Death and dying are all around us. Sometimes I think about this because here at Timberline, we deal with death and dying almost daily. With, with families, with situations, with sickness and illness. And it's so important for us today with this message to be able to have it in the back of our minds. Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life. Because this fleshly death is not our final place. Please remember that as we move on. Number three, it means that there is a tension between faith and reality. Now this is where we sort of get into the heart of the message today. There's a tension between this faith that says, yeah, I'm, I believe He's the resurrection and the life, and I'm going to trust Him, and I can lay my life down for Him, and this reality that my body's dying. I feel the decay of it every single day. Verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, He was told that Lazarus had already been in His grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, 
And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet Him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, now, now listen to this and put yourself in Martha's position just for a second. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Is that some pressure? Is that some disappointment? Yeah, it's huge. But even now, this is her faith, that you're seeing the tension. Even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Do you think she's saying, would you raise him from the dead? It's possible. She's in this tension between this, this faith and yet this reality that he's died. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. She immediately goes to her knowledge about this. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. That's the moment. That's the picture. That's the snapshot that we're looking at today. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. This tension is amazing in the story right here. Here's what really catches me and interests me because Jesus did not meet the expectation of Martha and Mary. Have you ever been in a place in your life where if Jesus would have just listened to you a little more, you could have saved all the pain that was going on if He would have just taken your counsel once? This is what's happening in the story. Jesus, Martha, they came to Him. Lord, please come. Your friend, our brother, he's sick. He's sick unto death. He's dying. Jesus says, see you later. He leaves and Lazarus dies. They bury him. He's been in this grave for four days. Jesus comes back making these grandiose statements about, I'm the resurrection and the life. You ever been disappointed by God? You ever felt like the thing that you dreamed has died? You ever feel like God let you down? That's the tension between faith and reality. That's the tension that we live with because God has a plan you don't see. God has a plan different than yours. Sometimes He steps up and He answers our prayers and we say, yes, I wish it could always be this easy. Other times, He leaves. He doesn't leave us, but in this case, He left down. He couldn't be found. He didn't answer His cell phone. I'm sure they would have tried if He had had one. Here's the point. We all have some dead spots. You know those commercials about dead spots and cell phones and all that and you can't get through? I think over time, especially the older I get, I look back over my life and I see the potential for certain areas in my life that have become sort of destroyed or deadened where I'm less alert, I'm less willing, I'm a little more stubborn, I don't see it quite. I have a tainted view because I was wounded really bad by someone like that before and I'm not going down that road again. You can't trust those people. There's this stuff that happens that creates death in my spiritual life. And I want to talk some about that in this next section because, because as we recognize that in our lives, 
God's going to ask us to roll away the stone to let Him probe in to find the death that has already entered our lives. Number four, it means that we must roll some stones away. It means we must roll some stones away. Now, I realize this is a real-time story when all this really happens, but I want you to think even in some metaphors with me for a little bit. Verse 38, Jesus was still angry as He arrived at the tomb. I'll talk about why He was angry in a minute. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone away. Why was Jesus angry? It says several times, if you read in between some of the verses I haven't, you'll notice that he has a lot of emotion going on. It also says he wept. John eleven thirty five. How many of you know that's the shortest verse in the Bible? That's why I know it so well, because we used to have to memorize scriptures growing up. That one was first on the list. Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. If someone would have said, Why did he weep? I would have said, I don't know. I just know it's a nice one to memorize. He wept, but he also experienced anger. And the little Greek word there translated angry is only used five other times in the New Testament, all with emotions in Jesus. And it's an interesting word that sort of has this idea of being irritated or frustrated to the point of, of, of being uh, of not just angry like mad when I hit something, not that kind of anger, but hurt and wounded and frustrated and irritated by what he's seeing. And scholars kind of have lots of opinions about why coming to the tomb of Lazarus would have made him angry. But most agree that it wasn't because he was mad at somebody or he was mad at Martha or he was upset. It was probably because he saw the sea of death and dying. In this day, people would actually hire people who would come in and weep out loud and cry and mourn and grieve. And the, the louder you mourn, the more grief there was. And so people would come in and it was just a big show in some cases. And Jesus is walking through this lack of faith. And, and I think He's going back to reminding, it's reminding Him of what sin does to people. Death and dying. I think Jesus actually is having a little trip all the way back to the garden when, when Adam and Eve walked across the line. And that sin wrecked what God had in mind. And I think Jesus is grieving in the sense of life didn't have to be like this. I am the resurrection and the life. I didn't come just to clean up the pain and the messes like that. I wish it could be different, but it can't. And now I'm here and it's frustrating. And I wish I could hold Martha or Mary. I wish I could do something that would show them the hope they need to have in God. Wow. I put three things. These are subpoints under this point. What happens when the stone is rolled away of your life? We all have them. We all have places in our tomb, our mind, the tomb of our mind, the tomb of our heart, that we have put some stones there. We become vulnerable. That's the first one in your outline. When you decide to roll the stone away, you expose yourself to someone or to God in some places where you're vulnerable. Let me ask you a question. Who gets to see in your tomb? 
Who do you let in there? Who do you allow to probe around in the depth of some of your deadness? Some of the, the things that have almost taken you out emotionally or spiritually. I'm watching right now and dealing with some wonderful people who have never felt the kind of depression they have now. This economic time and the issues at hand is forcing some people into a new arena of the tomb. They don't live there. They don't want to go there. But there's a darkness in there that's grabbed them. And mentally it's hard for them to shake it. And all news seems like it's bad news. Have you noticed that? And, and it's just a challenge that certain things start to rally, something good starts to happen, but then there's always someone to say why it's going to go back in the tank and blah, 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 and on and on and on. That's why Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not about those other things. When we put our hope, when we rest in that, we go deeper into the tomb. Darkness comes around us and we can't see. I want to be vulnerable enough to let people look around in those areas of my life. And Jesus says, move the stone away. And they're like, wait a minute, you don't understand what's in there. Yes, I do. And I want to see what's in there. The, the second little sub-point there is that not only is it vulnerable, but we overcome fear when we roll the stone away. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's scary being around dead people. Have you ever, I mean, walk through a graveyard at night when it's raining, it's creepy. The only other place that's creepy like that to me is a church with all the lights out late at night when no one else is there. I used to hear pastors in the van just talk about coming into the church and praying at night. Man, I tried that a few times and I'm like, what was that? Okay, God. What was that? <laughs> so you just pray louder, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's just creepy to me, but... But we, we fantasize this story. We say, yeah, Lazarus is going to come out. Jesus is going to say, come forth and he's going to be alive. But think about it. Here we are and there's a dead person here. And there's a stone that's been rolled in front of it, this cave, for a reason. And so Jesus says, roll the stone back. That's not that comfortable. See, for you to let Jesus roll the stone off of parts of your death and your tomb and your despair, you're going you're gonna to have to overcome a fear that maybe He's going to find the stuff He needs to find. I'm not trying to suggest you live a secret life at all, but I know this. Sometimes we shut things out and we shut things down. I hear people say things like, it's just better if we don't talk about it. What does that mean? See, the only way you can experience resurrection and life is to know your deadness. And so that's why Jesus says we've got to roll this stone away. We all have emotional death in our lives. The death of a dream. Some of you have had that. You're living it today. The death of a marriage. The death of hope. The death of friendship. The death of, of a relationship with a child or a parent or a grandparent. It, the list goes on and on and on. We bury it harbor that thing and it's bitter and it's hard and I don't want to talk about it and don't touch that spot. I've got it deep in there and God says, roll the stone back. I'm going in there. It's fearful. Death is a scary place. I had a, when I was at Central Bible College in Springfield, they had this, this uh, mortuary, had an apartment in the top and two of my buddies got free rent in the apartment if they would go get the bodies when they died. 
And so they would go to the scenes and bring the bodies home and prepare them and put them in the place where the morticians would come and do the work. But then they lived up there. How creepy would that be? And I would always, when I would go see them, it's like you pull a car up and you get out of the car and you're looking around and, you know, you run up the stairs and off to the left was the casket room. And they were so brutal. I mean, we scared so many people. It's a great date night. Jesus sometimes is asking us to overcome what we naturally fear. And He wants to roll the stone away. The last little sub-point is that I must learn to trust. When I roll the stone away, I'm trusting the words of Christ more than my own logic. Now this is tough. We don't admit how tough this is. That's why Martha said no. Jesus says, roll the stone. Immediately Martha says, Lord, I don't think you understand how it works. He's been dead for four days. His body smells awful. Do we really need that? She's not understanding what He's about to do. How often is that the case in my life with God? And I pray about things and I lay it before Him and God says, this is what I want you to do. And I say, well, you need to understand something. That's not going to work out the way you think. Let me help you. Let's do this instead. When I trust God, when I hear His voice and I trust Him, I am entering into a resurrection and life. I am entering into a moment of hope that is beyond my flesh and blood. And it's a powerful thing when we do that, you guys. It's a powerful thing. Trust. Someone rolled away the stone. Here's the question. What if no one would have? What if they all would have just walked away? Interesting thought. Because sometimes we are vessels that help roll the stones away at the words of Jesus so that Jesus can get into the heart of men and women who have dead spots in their life. Let's be available. The last thing I want to say and we'll pray is number five there. It means I must get rid of my grave clothes. One of my favorite parts of the story is this part because it's when Jesus makes this proclamation and I would have never really thought this through, but Lazarus, when they prep the body in those days, obviously much different than the way we do, but the body is wrapped, head cover. I mean, it, we talk about a mummy and someone who is wrapped up tight. Just, just go ahead and imagine this. Verse 43, Jesus shouted, and that word means he lifted his voice and made a proclamation. So he is actually, it's a resounding uh, moment. He, he shouts, Lazarus! Come out! And the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes. His face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, you, me, okay, here we are. Unwrap him and let him go. (laughs) I'm not touching him. Here he is. I mean, I'm not trying to make this animated more than it is. He's, he's wrapped up. He can hardly walk. The guy's coming to the entrance of the tomb in his linen clothes. And someone's got to get him free. 
Someone's going to unwrap those grave clothes. Jesus is the resurrection and life. Here's the point. But sometimes it's us, the body of Christ, our small group, our friendship, our relationship. What can I do to help take your grave clothes off of you? you say, well, what are grave clothes? I think there are a lot of connections that I could make here. But I see people wearing grave clothes sometimes when they... They've asked God to cleanse them and forgive them, but they still feel condemned. They still have a blanket of shame over their life. And it's like they come out of a tomb, but they just walk around locked down. They have no freedom in their spirit. They have no true joy because they're remembering their past. They're locked by their childhood. This is what happened. And where was God this? And there's shame in their life. They feel degraded. They can't move on. And they're stuck. That's why Jesus came. And that's why He said, take off your grave clothes. You guys, for some of you today in this room, if all you hear me say is this, please don't miss this. Jesus is the resurrection and the life so that you don't have to wear your grave clothes anymore. You don't have to live under that. You can be free of that. You can walk past that. You can breathe again. You can move again. You can build relationship and life again. You can trust this God who created you. He is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for hope. Thank You that it's not just us left alone in a grave. Thank You. Lord, I just pray that for those in this room in South Auditorium who need to repent of sin, let them see, God, that it starts with You and faith in You. If you know there's sin that's keeping you in the dead zone, It's the only way you can come out of there is to repent. Can't go back and undo what you did or are doing, but you can stop today. And there's freedom there. And I just ask you to pray, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me. Make it new again. I trust you with my future and my life. But I want to pray secondly for those of you that would say, I'll tell you, I I need... For God to roll the stone away some places in my life. And I, I don't know if this is hidden stuff or how exposed it just doesn't feel good. It might not even be sin. It might just be the insecurities and personality issues that you deal with and fear issues, anxiety that you deal with. And it's hard for you to let someone poke around in your tomb. Jesus wants to roll the stone away. Maybe it's you that has said no. Maybe it's someone else that has said no, but maybe today Jesus is saying yes. Would you have the vulnerability? Would you go through it to let me touch those places in your life? Would you be honest about Let's do talk about that thing you don't want to talk about. I need you to lay that on the altar today before God. Because that's where resurrection and life is found. That's where freedom comes. How many of you would lift your hand to that and say, Amen, pray for me. Pray for me. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for them now that You will roll the stone back. That we will feel the exposure of a loving God in front of a loving God. And that You will touch those places that have kept us crippled and wounded. That You will heal us. That You will renew our minds, our bodies. That we'll have strength we've never known. That we will reach the potential You had in mind when You formed us in the womb. Help us to live that life. You're calling that. You're calling us to it, I pray, Lord. Lastly, I just feel it's important to pray for those of you that need to take off your grave clothes. 
because whatever they are, and God can reveal to you what they are, they hinder your run ability. You understand that? They, they hinder your freedom. It's like watching those guys when they're walking on the moon and they have so much stuff on. I realize it, it saves their life, but it's pretty hard to go. And Jesus being the resurrection and life, He's saying, look, if you've come out of the tomb, death doesn't grip you anymore. You need to get rid of those clothes. You need to understand that you're made to run. You're made to have vision and purpose and calling. That criticism that those people are knocking you down with, you know what? That's a grave clothes. Those are grave clothes. That, that mind that you keep battling, that, those words that keep going over in your mind, that, that argument that you have by yourself, <laughs> those are grave clothes. We've got to take them off today. How many of you just need help with that? I do. We all do, probably. But, Lord, we lift our hands saying, help us. Thank you for insisting that Lazarus didn't have to live in those grave clothes another day. But that he was free because you are the resurrection and the life. For your glory we pray. And everyone said, Amen. <laughs> Man, I love you guys. It's fun to be here with you. Would you stand with me, please? And I'm going to ask our prayer team in the South Auditorium and this auditorium to just please come right up here right now. And These guys are going to be available. If you want to pray with someone before you walk out of here, do so. There's lots of tables in the mall out there. and Please go by, check in, and ask questions. And let's ask God to go before us. I want to pray this over us as we walk out of here. That when we walk out of here, we can recognize... Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if we have Him living in us, that means we ought to be life givers. Amen? Lord, we go from this place joyful, full, changed by Your power, Your presence, renewed in our minds. Thank You for this story. Thank You for every aspect of it. Send us out of here knowing that You're the source of our lives and that we can offer that to others in every realm of this week. In Your mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Thanks for coming to Timberline. Let love live.